For most of her working life, my mother was a radiographer. X-ray, CT scans, that sort of stuff. And it's amazing how much the technology changed from the time she started to the time that she finished. So when my mum first started working, ultrasound was just in its infancy. CT and MRI technology had not even been invented yet. Yet for all the changes in technology, some of the essentials of working as a radiographer have not changed. And one of those essentials is an understanding of the human anatomy. It's foundational for anyone that works in the medical field, radiographer, doctor, nurse, physiotherapist. Understanding the human anatomy, or at least particular parts of it, is essential. When I was studying at uni, a number of my friends were studying to become health professionals, and I loved hearing the stories about their anatomy classes. More than that, though, I was fascinated when they told me what they were learning about the inner workings of the human body, the interconnectedness, the interdependent nature of so many parts of our body, the way it functioned together, the way they depended on each other, this wonderful organism that God created so complex and so fascinating. The study of the human anatomy gives us a wonderful glimpse into this part of God's creation, doesn't it? In the passage we're looking at together this morning, the passage that was read for us by Margaret, Peter delves into the anatomy of a very complex topic, the topic of suffering. And in doing so, he outlines for his readers its inner workings, the way that suffering works and functions, its purposes. See, suffering, and particularly the suffering of those to whom Peter was writing, is a key focus of this letter. In fact, it was the suffering of his readers that likely led Peter to write the letter in the first place. And as we've noted over the last couple of weeks, the people that Peter was writing to were suffering for their faith. And more specifically, they were being slandered and insulted and abused for the choices and lifestyles that living for Jesus meant in their lives. These Christians lived a different lifestyle to those around them. These Christians didn't get involved with wild living like those around them did. These Christians didn't worship the Roman emperor like those around them did. So they were slandered, insulted, shunned. They suffered because they chose to follow Jesus, not the way of their society. And in the passage we're looking at this morning, Peter focuses on this suffering, explaining its inner workings, the why, the how, the purpose. And in doing so, he focuses on two broad areas. Firstly, in the first part of the passage, he focuses on the individual and suffering. Who suffers? Why do they suffer? What is the purpose and result of their suffering? And then in the later part of the passage, Peter takes, takes a step back and lets the reader know some of God's wider purposes in the suffering that his people go through. He starts, though, by looking at the suffering, at suffering in the individual with a particular focus on who and why. Well, I've already established at one level the who, haven't we? Part of Peter's purpose in writing is to address the suffering that his readers are facing. 
And he makes that clear right from the very beginning of this passage. The very first verse, he says to them, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you. As we read on in the passage, though, it becomes clear that Peter is not only referring to his readers. For example, in verse 19, Peter more generally addresses those who suffer according to the will of God, not only his readers. While in verse 16, he talks about suffering as a Christian. Yes, he's referring to the readers. He addresses them directly, but he has a wider audience in mind as well. Peter clearly has in mind other Christians, including you and me. Notice, though, that Peter is not talking about any and every type of suffering that the Christian person experiences, but rather the suffering that results from being a follower of Jesus, results from being a Christian, the suffering that results from doing God's will. Peter makes that especially clear in verses 15 and 16, where he says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed. See, Peter's clear that the suffering he's talking about does not include the suffering that we bring upon ourselves for our sinful behaviour. That's what he's trying to convey when he says, if you suffer as a murderer or thief or criminal or meddler. See, Peter uses these terms as representative of living against God's will, doing what God doesn't want you to do. Peter isn't referring to this type of suffering the suffering that results from this, but rather the suffering that comes about when we do God's will, when we live the way he wants us to, when we obey him. And it's at this point that we also see the why of suffering. The reason these people are suffering is that they're choosing to do God's will. They're choosing to live God's way in a society that doesn't like people living God's way. And we also live in a society that doesn't like people living God's way, don't we? Before I studied at SNBC, I worked a job in the city and we occasionally went out socially on Friday evenings. And most of my colleagues would use that opportunity to drink quite a bit, especially if work was paying. There are a couple of us, however, who didn't join them in that. And people noticed. And they asked, why? Why are you holding back? And I explained to them that I was holding back because I wanted to follow what God wanted me to do. And one of those things was not getting drunk. There was an awkward silence. Then the jokes and ridicule started. And the jokes and ridicule continued over the days and weeks and months. and Some people started treating me differently. They ignored me at work. That never got really bad, but I was shunned and ridiculed. And many, many Christians face similar sort of things, don't they? Maybe you'll face or are even facing right now something similar or something even worse. Because Christians will suffer if they follow Jesus. And many of our brothers and sisters around the world face far more severe consequences for following Jesus than we do, don't they? Some lose their jobs 
Their bosses do not want to employ Christians and when they find out, they dismiss them. And in many countries, losing a job means losing any income. No money to buy food, clothing, shelter. Others lose their families as their families disown them. Others even lose their lives for Jesus. Following Jesus costs. For some it costs more than others, but it costs for everyone. And so that's the who and the why of suffering. Who? Christians. Why? Because they follow Jesus and live for him. Peter, however, in his explanation of the anatomy of suffering doesn't stop there. He also explains to his readers the purpose of their suffering as well as the result of it. And these two things are intimately linked. And he talks about the purpose in that beginning verse that I read earlier, verse 12. Have a look again with me. Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, that's his way of saying suffering, the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now notice what Peter is saying here about the purpose of suffering. The purpose of suffering, he says, is to test you. That is to test the Christian. Now the word that Peter uses here for test is the same word he uses in chapter 1, verse 6, that the NIV translates as trials. You may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, Peter says there. It's the same word. And in that passage, Peter goes on to explain how trials are like fire to gold. And in using this analogy, Peter is alluding to the fact that fire tests whether gold is genuine or not. If gold survives fire, it's genuine gold because gold won't be destroyed by refining fire. So if a Christian's Christian person's faith survives the suffering that comes from following Jesus, it is genuine faith. If we keep following Jesus despite Suffering, Peter says, it proves to us that our faith is genuine. And so this is the result of suffering, or at least one of the results. It proves that our faith is genuine if we continue to obey God despite our suffering. Or to use the language that Peter uses in this passage. As he says here in verse 13, for example, it shows that the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That is, it shows that you have God's spirit. And then in verse 16, it shows that you bear his name, Peter says. Bear the name of Jesus, that is, you belong to him. And this, Peter says, is a reason to praise God. A reason to rejoice, he says in verse 13. And brothers and sisters, there is no greater reason to rejoice than the fact that that we belong to God. Then the fact that his spirit is on us, the fact that we bear his name, what a wonderful privilege that is to be part of the family of God as we heard about in chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago. Now one that gives us a, a living hope, one that gives us an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade, one that gives us salvation that is secure. What a wonderful thing it is to bear the name of Jesus and to have
have his spirit upon us. Up until this point, Peter has focused on what suffering means for the individual, who it is, why they suffer, the purpose of suffering, the results of suffering. In verse 17 and 18, however, Peter explains what suffering signifies at a wider cosmic level. Have a look at those verses. Peter says there, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter starts this, these verses with that phrase, for, for the time of, for, sorry, for it is time for the judgment, for judgment to begin with God's household. Now it sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? God judging his own household. But Peter's making the point here that the judgment of God, which ultimately results in the separation of those who are God's from those who aren't God's, this judgment this separation has already begun in the way Christians respond to their suffering for Jesus' name. So Peter here is not using the term judgment in the sense of being condemned. Rather, he's saying that, he's making the point that the separation between those who belong to God and those who don't belong to God has already begun. It's happening right now. And it's begun because of the way that we respond to the suffering of Jesus. The way we respond distinguishes those who remain faithful to him, that is, those who have genuine faith from those who don't. Those who willingly suffer for Jesus' name show themselves to be God's people, or God's household, as he says here, while those who don't show that they aren't part of God's household. And Peter goes on to to make the point that those who aren't part of God's household or those who who don't obey the gospel, as he puts it in verse 17, will suffer a much worse fate than those who suffer in this life for Jesus' name. This is a point that he reinforces in verse 18 with that quote from Proverbs 11, where he says, If it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, Peter recognises here that suffering for Jesus is not easy. It's hard. That's what he's getting at when he says if it's hard for the righteous to be saved. It's a difficult road to remain faithful to Jesus. But as difficult as that is, Peter says, it will be far more difficult for the one who rejects Jesus, either openly or by refusing to suffer for him. And so Peter's making the point here that all people will suffer as a result of the way they respond to Jesus. Christians will suffer now because they belong to him and they align themselves with him and our world doesn't like that. While those who don't follow Jesus will end up suffering in the next life. A suffering that is far worse There's a choice to make, Peter says. And in my observation, a lot of people have a tendency to want to avoid immediate discomfort or suffering, even if it means 
greater discomfort or suffering in the future. I know what I do. You know, during my time at uni and SNBC, I would put off studying throughout the semester, just those little bits of pain as you review what's going on, and I'll try and cram it all in at the end. Short, less painful in the short term, more painful in the long term. What's like putting off, you know, cleaning up that corner of the backyard that's just getting out of control up until the point that it actually becomes dangerous for people to go near it. Less pain in the short term, much more painful in the long term. Now, Peter reminds his readers here that all people will face suffering at some point as a result of their response to Jesus. Our sinful world ensures this. Those who are faithful followers of Jesus, who live in obedience to him, will face it in this life as they're insulted and rejected for following Jesus. While those who reject Jesus, either openly or by compromising their faith because they don't want to suffer for him, will face it in the next life where they have to pay the penalty for their own sin. The choice is stark, isn't it? And the consequences are more significant than we can imagine. And these are truths that our world desperately needs to hear and be convinced of, don't they? We have millions of people around us opting to put off the lesser short-term pain for the longer long-term pain. Sorry, for the more significant long-term pain. And in light of these truths and the fact that suffering for Jesus is not easy, Peter finishes with an encouragement to Christians to commit themselves to God. Have a look at verse 19. Peter says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. This is Peter's take-home message for all Christians, those suffering for doing good, those who are faithfully following Jesus. He wants us to do two things. Firstly, we're to commit ourselves to our faithful creator, he says. I think behind that word creator, we should also read judge because the one who creates is the one who has the right to judge as well, aren't they? We're to commit ourselves to the faithful creator who is also the one who judges at the end. And secondly, Peter says, we're to continue to do good. But to continue to live God's way. We're continue to continue to obey him. We're to continue to follow Jesus. In fact, following Jesus and obeying God is part of the way that we commit ourselves to him. By obeying, by living for him. We also commit ourselves to him, to our creator, by trusting him. Trusting that he's in control and that he will do what is right. And Peter's already encouraged his readers with this earlier in the letter. Turn back with me to chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. I'll read from the second half of verse 20. 1 Peter chapter 2, 20 to 23. Peter says, If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 
he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. See, here Peter points out that Jesus, in his suffering, continued to do good. See what he said there? When they hurled insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When they suffered, he made no threats. While at the same time, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly, to God, the creator. Now, even though Jesus was treated unjustly, he did not do wrong. He didn't retaliate. He didn't make threats. Rather, he entrusted himself to God, knowing that God, who judges justly, would deal with the injustice that was happening to him. Jesus' focus was to continue to do good, continue to do the will of his Father. And we're to do the same, Peter says in chapter 4, verse 19. Commit, out, commit yourselves to your faithful creator and continue to do good, Peter says. And this shouldn't come as a surprise. Because as Peter says in 2 verse 21, part of that passage I just read, Jesus suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps, he says. His steps in suffering because of a faithful, obedient life to God. His steps in committing ourselves to our faithful creator, the one who judges justly. So the next time that you are treated unjustly or unfairly for doing good, don't retaliate. Don't make threats. Rather choose to commit it and yourself to God the faithful creator, the one who judges justly and continue to do good. Next time someone at school or at work makes fun of you or ignores you or slanders you or speaks badly behind your back, uh, speaks about you behind your back because you're a Christian, commit that injustice and the pain that it causes to God, the faithful creator, the one who judges justly and continue to do good. The next time that you don't get recognised for your hard work or when someone takes credit for what you've done, commit that injustice and the disappointment that comes with it to God, the one who judges justly and continue to do good. Next time someone lies about you or accuses you of something you didn't do. Like my brother-in-law experienced a couple of years ago at work, one of his colleagues went to the boss with a completely fabricated lie about him with the aim of getting my brother-in-law offside with the boss and it nearly worked. He was nearly fired for a lie that was made up about him. Next time something like that happens to you, commit the injustice and the pain and the confusion that goes with it to God, the faithful creator, the just judge, and continue to do good. And maybe some of these things are happening to you over and over and over again. You're constantly being ridiculed or teased or 
maligned, you're often lied about or misrepresented. You faithfully serve others week in, week out, and it's never recognised, you're never thanked for it. You're stuck in a position at work, even though you deserve promotion, but your boss doesn't promote you because you're a Christian. Keep committing these injustices and the pain that they cause to God, the faithful creator who judges justly and continues to do good. Let's pray.